Have you ever been wounded? I don't mean have you ever fallen down and broken your arm or had an accident. I mean, has your heart ever been hurt? Have you ever been deeply hurt by someone or have your feelings just been hurt? Has anyone ever done you wrong? We're starting a new series today called Bitterness, From Blight to Blessing. Get your Bible and let's talk about it. One hundred percent of the human population has been wounded. It's had their heart hurt. I have, you have, but at some point in time, somebody has hurt your feelings. Or maybe deeper, you have a deep heart wound from something that happened to you. We're living in a day when so many people are dealing with issues that penetrate to the core. We deal with our hurts in many different ways. We try to figure it out. We may try to pay somebody back, trying to hurt them the way they hurt us. Or we may just stay away from them or hold them at arm's length. We may try to put it out of our mind, put it out of our memory. Or we may try to just suck it up and take it. We teach ourselves to cope. Oftentimes, though, it's in worldly, fleshly ways. There are unfaithful spouses, parents who have hurt us, harsh memories of sexual abuse, rebellious children, heartless in-laws, overbearing, degrading bosses and authority figures, and maybe someone told you sometime that you'd never amount to anything. Or maybe you had a teacher to just tell you that you were dumb. All those kinds of things happen to us. They're part of our lives that the list just goes on and on and on. And then, we may relive that hurt over and over. We hear it over and over again. And that offense just plods on and on and on in our hearts and minds. And we begin to hate the person who hurt us. Maybe I decide to stay away from them, but they're still in my mind. Maybe I fixate on the offense and I begin to define myself by it. I define myself by something bad that happened to me. Even though I'm trying to get it out of my life, I wind up dragging it around with me because it's stuck in my mind. So we become captive to the very thing we hate. The very thing that hurt us, the very person that hate us, that, that hurt us begins to control us. So our lives become colored then by vexation and anger and tension, and it just colors who we are in everything we do. We don't like to live like that, but we do. And so the question is, how can I be set free from that? How can I get deliverance from that kind of bondage? Because we can become truly free, but we have to do it God's way. We can start over. So the question is, where do we start? <clears throat> Let's think about that for just a minute. There are times in life when <clears throat> we have an opportunity or a circumstance that calls for starting over. Change can be hard for us. <clears throat> it's hard for me. So we like keeping things the same. I like for things to be familiar. Um, sometimes we just 
eat the same thing when we go out or we keep things in the same, we just like it. You know, it gives us some sense of control and old paths then become comfortable. But the Bible is full of scriptures that command change. Let's look at two or three of them. First one is Ephesians chapter four, verses 22 through 24. It says, put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life. Listen to this part and be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self. Well, looking at that Scripture tells us that putting on the new self is preceded by being renewed in the spirit of your mind. Then there's Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. You may know it. I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your rational service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. First Peter chapter one and verse 13 talks about girding up your mind for action. You know, back in those ancient Bible days, they wore tunics. Um, tunics kind of like a dress. And so it's a very loose fitting garment. And if you were engaging in action or if you were in a battle or if you were going to run, you'd have to fasten it down with a belt. I have read that the men would take the back. My grandmother called it skirt tail, pull it up between his legs, come up here and then fasten it down with a belt so that it looked like he kind of had on some pants. So you get it out of the way and you fasten it down to keep it from flapping and flying in the way. Well, it's easy to trip over long flowing robes, but sometimes our thoughts fly and flap that same way and they get in the way. And so one of the things that the Bible calls us to do is to contain those thoughts, trap them, set a boundary around them, get them where they can control us and they don't flap all over the place so that we're going to trip on them. Not long ago, I ran across an article on neuroplasticity. Neuroplasticity, that's a long word for me. It was an interesting article. But that word, that, that subject matter has to do with the ability of the brain to form different pathways. I live in the South. I call those pathways sometimes ruts. You see them in the road. We have dirt roads here. And so sometimes you see the ruts. Well, your brain forms those ruts. Now, the stunning thing, the thing that gripped my attention is that our thoughts shape our brain. Our thoughts shape our brain. They act as a sculptor and they sculpt our brain, our very brains. So we have thoughts and thought patterns that become like ruts in our brains. Well, it begins to make sense then that a huge topic in God's word is renewing the mind, renewing the mind, making changes, putting off the old, putting on the new. And so add to that, that our minds are accessible to our emotions. 
That's important because often what we feel dictates what we think. And our emotions begin to control our lives rather than our good sense. And so here we go. Satan uses this. Sometimes somebody comes along and they hurt us. They hurt us very deeply. And so then we relive that hurt over and over, and we begin to hate the one that offended us. So we decide to stay away from them. But they're still in my mind. And so I fixate on the offense. I relive it. When I go to bed at night, I think about it. I think about what I wish I had told them. I think about what I wish I'd said, what I'd like to see happen to them. And it begins to grind and grind. And so then I begin to define myself by the offense. I'm a hurt one. I'm a victim. And so although I want it out of my life, I drag it around with me. I drag it around with me in my thinking all the time. Now those years of reliving that wrong over and over become years of bitterness. And hatred then begins to permeate my life. And so you know what happens? As I think about that and as it stays there, those ruts, those pathways become ingrained in my brain. And so what happens then is that my brain is being shaped to be like the person or like the hurt. Neural pathways have been built in my brain that now wind up being my go-to thoughts. If you're ever traveling down one of those back dirt roads and maybe it's been muddy or there's been some weather and you just need a good place to go or even driving in snow, what do you do? You're gonna find the rut and you're going to gravitate to that rut. That's what happens in our brains. And so those pathways that have been made by my bitterness and my fixating on my offense then become my go-to thoughts. That's what I happen, what I happen to think of first. So those bad memories then can control the very shape and function of my brain. So I try to make myself feel better. How can I cover that pain? Well, maybe I, my go-to often is to overeat. I can overeat, but sometimes maybe I try to find relief in drugs, or maybe I find relief in alcohol, or maybe I find relief in pornography. So the next thing you know is those ruts have been developed and I begin to ease the pain. I begin to try to make it go away with all of these things. Satan is having a heyday in your mind and in your life. And so when I do that, I become a slave to the very person or the very thing that I hate. It controls me. It controls my thinking, and my thinking controls my behavior. Chronic anger does the same thing. Uh, it causes the body to release stress hormones that take a toll on our bodies when they're just constantly produced. They just constantly drip. And our bodies were not built for that kind of over-hormoning from the anger that is there. Sometimes you're around people, you see that they're just tense and angry all the time. They fly off the handle easily. And, you know, it's just built in them to fly off, to be tense, 
to think the negative. And where's it coming from? Coming from those neural pass pathways that I have built in my brain and in my spirit that cause me to automatically react according to the flesh instead of the spirit. So the enemy of our souls has access to our brains. You know, every thought is not your thought. Satan has the ability to shoot like a dart, a thought into your brain. So we're constantly frisking our thoughts to see, is this thought from me? Is it from Satan? Is it from God? Where's this thought coming from? So seduction to sin happens in our minds. The mind is the issue. So by having persistent wrong thoughts, I want you to get this, by having persistent wrong thoughts, we become like what we don't like. Has a clutch on us. But God's word has the answer. God has given us a way to be set free. Renewing our minds according to the instruction of the Word of God will literally reshape our brains. Romans chapter 12, verse 2, we were there a while ago, says what? Be transformed by the renewing of your what? Your mind. So over time then, those old pathways that were roots begin to be transformed. They begin to be filled. And so they become less and less familiar because what am I doing? I'm replacing those old thoughts with God's thoughts. And when I do that, then those old pathways begin not to be so deep. The ruts are not so deep. I don't go there quite so quickly. I don't slide into those roots immediately. So the Holy Spirit gives us the ability and the power to change our minds. The Bible has a word for it. It's called repentance. Repentance. That's what repentance is. Repentance is a change of mind. It's a change in the way I think because what I think controls how I behave. So repentance is a change of mind. So repentance begins with thinking differently. So I'm going to take those thoughts that were not God's thoughts, that were not God's way, and replace those thoughts with God's thoughts, with what God says. And so our minds change. If our minds don't change, our behavior won't change. Your mind, what you think, what you believe is going to dictate what you do. Well, freedom from bitterness comes from forgiveness. And we're going to be talking about that for the next few weeks. Freedom from bitterness comes from forgiveness. We're going to be asking questions like, so what if I don't forgive? They don't deserve it. So we're going to be asking questions like, how do I do that? Why would I do that? But freedom from bitterness comes for, from forgiveness. So now worldly thinking is going to say something like this. Well, that doesn't make sense. What they did was wrong. What they did was wrong. They need to pay. And I want them to hurt like I hurt. I want to see them suffer. Well, God says, forgive them. 
forgive them. Our primary reason for the collapse of society all around us is due to indifference and rejection of God's principles. When we choose to do it our own way, instead of doing it God's way, when we reject God's way, then our human weaknesses become dominant. And when that happens, life just doesn't work. Had an illustration kind of come to my mind as I was preparing this uh, lesson here. Um, we want to enjoy a life that works. But if life is going to work, then it's going to have to be lived within the boundaries that God has given to us. A good illustration is a fish. Suppose I'm a fish swimming around in the pond, enjoying life. I have plenty of fish friends. I have good food to eat that God provides. Everything works in that life. But I decide one day that I don't want to live in the boundary of the pond. So I flop out. Have you ever seen a fish tossed on the bank of a pond? What's he going to do? He's going to flop. He's going to fret. He's going to look for a place. So he's all over the place. And instead of having the flow of his life, which was in the boundaries of the way he was created, then he's out here flopping. And what's going to happen to him? If he stays there long enough, he's going to die. The best thing he can do is what? Flop back in the pond and get on with the flow of his life. He is where he was created to be. And so as he is created to be in that pond, his life works. The fish works. He's where he's meant to be. God didn't give us commandments to keep something from us. God gave commandments to give flow to our life, to our lives. And so he gave us these because this is the way we're built in which life works. It's where it's going to operate. And so we've let some of these commands of God just slip through the cracks. We've stopped paying any attention to them. And so we think, well, this is the 21st century. This really doesn't work anymore. Let me ask you a question. Does the fish need to follow the same boundaries to have a good life today that a fish had a hundred years ago. Sure, because he was built for that. He was built for that. And so we've gotten so used to those old thoughts and ways that we've stopped noticing them very much. We've become acclimated to sin. We've become acclimated to a sinful society. And we think, well, that's just the way it is. But you know what's really happening to us on inside is we're flopping like that fish. We don't have it together. Life is not working. The world is not working. The society around us is not working because we want to do it outside the pond, outside of God's ways. And so to enjoy life that works and to fulfill the potential that God has built into us, then we've got to get into God's word and live by God's principles, whether I like it or not, whether I understand it or not. Because what we know is that God is a good, loving, merciful God who is always out for your good. Now, the goal of the enemy is to make you not believe that. 
And we want to say, well, I don't see that going on. I, so, no, uh-uh. I, I don't see that happening, so I'm not doing it. Well, you're going to wind up flopping on the bank. And so when God comes along then and says, you need to forgive those who have hurt you, our first inclination is to go, say what? Surely not. Surely you don't mean for us to do that. And so I've got to become intentional then. My feelings tell me, don't you do that. You need to hurt them. You want them to hurt. But my mind tells me, if I don't do this God's way, I'm going to wind up in a worse mess because of what happened to me than I ever would be in by providing forgiveness. So those are the things we're going to be talking about. And so we've got to be intentional about correcting our wrong thinking because it's costing us more, 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 far more than we ever imagined. Now, in a couple of weeks, we're going to look at a verse in Hebrews that says bitterness will cause torment and it will torment you and also wind up tormenting all the people around you. So my question to me has to be, is it worth the cost? Is unforgiveness really, really worth what it's costing. But what I have to do is I have to adjust my thinking to God's thinking, to God's word, so that I can see what it's costing. So I can see the hurt that comes from it. You know, when we read scriptures that tell us to forgive those who have hurt us, we may just groan in our spirits. We just think, oh my goodness, no. No, I want them to hurt. I don't want have anything to do with I don't have anything to do with them. I don't want them around me. Now that may be okay. That part may be okay. Because the forgiveness part we're going to find is going to happen in our hearts. And so we may look and we may think, I can't do that. I cannot do that. And it could be that we've created such a brain rut of the bitterness that we feel like we don't even know how to think about it. Or Maybe another response could be, yeah, I know I need to do that, but I'm going to wait till later. I'm going to let them suffer a little while longer. See, when I take that attitude, the truth is they're not suffering. You are. My grandmother used to say, when you point one finger, you've got three pointing back at you. That's kind of the situation here. And so what we've got to understand the truth of God's word that says, look, when you're not willing to release forgiveness, you're hurting you and the people around you far more than you're hurting the person who hurt you. That's the word of the Lord. So over the next few weeks, we're going to examine some of these foundational truths from God's word. Um, the message of forgiveness is central to the message of the gospel. So what is going to happen here, what really, really has to happen, needs to happen, is that I need to understand how God has forgiven me. 
And once I understand how God has forgiven me, then I understand the principle of forgiveness and then I become a conduit to release God's forgiveness to others. So understand right now, forgiveness doesn't mean that what they did was okay. Does not mean it wasn't wrong. Does not mean that it was okay. And we'll talk about that a lot. What it does mean is that in response to God's will for me to become a conduit for forgiveness to the world around me, then God can act to do things, to change things. And I have read many testimonies lately of couples who chose to forgive whose marriages were changed, they were transformed, they were revitalized. I've read testimonies of people who came off drugs and alcohol because they got to the place where they were willing to release forgiveness. So this is a serious topic. It's serious for us. It's serious to God. And so we understand that refusal to forgive brings torment. Refusal to forgive brings torment. God is so serious about our forgiving others that he will allow us to be tormented. That's how serious it is. Now, that does not mean that I'm going to lose my salvation. What it means is that I'm going to lose the earthly relational benefits of his forgiveness and his fellowship and my fellowship with other believers. And then the simple truth is God expects forgiven people to forgive others. What are the truths in God's word that we need to know and align our thoughts with. We're going to be looking for those. You be reading God's word and you be involved and ask God. You know, I just really look forward to our taking this journey together. It's so important because all you have to do is turn on the evening news to see the ramifications of unforgiveness and bitterness and hate in our society today. It's going on. People burn buildings, not because they hate the building owner, but because somebody hurt them a long time ago and the rage is still there. And God says, no, don't live like that. I want you to live a life of peace and joy and harmony and goodness and fellowship, a life of blessing where I can meet all of your needs. That's God's way. That's God's calling. And so we want to move together from the blight of bitterness to a life of the joy and freedom that God has provided because he wants to bless us. And so once we get to that place where we're willing to release that hurt to the Lord, then we position ourselves to be able to receive his blessings that we never imagined were waiting for us before. So for now, until next time, what do we do? Get before the Lord and agree with him about your thinking. Agree with him in those places where your thinking is not aligned with God's thoughts. Get before the Lord and say, you know what? I really, I still carry around the weight of that hurt from that first grade teacher, second grade teacher, my mama, whomever, whatever. 
whatever the hurt is, you still carry it. You still feel it. So get before the Lord and say to him, show me how I need to think about this. Help me lay this before you and heal my heart. Ask him to show you his truth. Ask him to work in your heart to set you free because it will all come from him. The most important thing is that you will understand God's forgiveness for you. Jesus died on the cross to save you from all of your sin, past, present, and future sin. Salvation is a gift. It is a gift from God. It has to do with grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Bow before Him. Ask Him to forgive all of your sin. And when you do, you start a whole new relationship with Him that's going to be the foundation for how you're going to forgive others. God bless you.